Welcome to Expert Gold Radio, which shows you how to leverage your leadership. Here's your host, Gahan Pereira, for this month's show. Welcome to Expert Gold Radio for June 2013. This month we focus on how the internet has changed the way we buy and what that means for us in business who sell. And this is not only for businesses that sell over the internet, that's just a small part of the market, but the internet has changed the way we buy everything. And as a business owner, you need to adapt to it. My feature interview this month is with UK sales guru, Paul Archer, who's got some valuable insights for salespeople, their managers and business leaders. And we'll get to that soon, but I want to start with an extract from my book, Fast, Flat and Free. I want to show you how to create and publish a high-quality email newsletter. This is going to be one of your most powerful marketing tools because one of the biggest changes in sales is that you don't know when your customer is ready to buy. In the past, they might have picked up the phone and called you as their first step. But now, that's very rarely their first step. So you have to be there consistently delivering value so that when they are ready to buy, they think of you soon. And an email newsletter is one of your best tools. A high-quality newsletter that you send regularly to subscribers who want to hear from you will be one of the biggest assets in your business. You stay in contact with your networks, you're front of mind when they're ready to take action, it positions you as somebody who delivers value, you're building a relationship with your network, you can sell but in a subtle and non-intrusive way, you earn the right to promote your products and services, and you can focus on people who are truly interested in those products and services. Now, with your mailing list, don't try to manage it using Microsoft Outlook or Apple Mail or other regular email software. That might work when your list is small, but soon it's going to become really unwieldy and inadequate. So instead, use a professional service like MailChimp.com, which manages mailing lists of all sizes. I like MailChimp for a number of reasons. It's easy to use and it's free for up to 2,000 subscribers. So you can set up your mailing list and start it going at no cost at all. The next step is to find subscribers. Here are just a few ideas. So include a brief description of your newsletter at the bottom of every outgoing email message, in other words, in your email signature, and have a link to the subscription page. Include a subscription form, or at least a link to the form, prominently on every page of your website and your blog. Include it on your Facebook business page, your Facebook personal profile, and your profile page in other online communities. Invite people that you meet to join your mailing list. If you publish articles in other places, such as other people's newsletters, article directories, or do guest blog posts, end by inviting readers to subscribe to your newsletter. At the end of every newsletter that you send, encourage your subscribers to pass it on to friends and colleagues. These are some of the easiest subscribers you're going to get, because they've been referred by a friend. Find other newsletters and blogs that serve the same market as you, and offer to write guest articles, which include a link back to your newsletter, of course. And when you've established your newsletter and you know it's working well for you, you might even consider paying to advertise in order to get new subscribers. The next step is to convince them to sign up, because finding them is one thing, it's another thing altogether to get them to sign up. As I said, internet users guard their privacy and their email address so carefully, so you do need to work hard to convince your potential subscribers to become real subscribers. So here are some ideas. First, give them a sample. On the sign-up page on your website, show them one or more sample newsletters so they know what to expect. Give them an incentive. Give them something of value in return for signing up, maybe an ebook or a special report or a free audio clip or a webinar recording. Show testimonials. Ask your current readers for their comments and use them on your sign-up page to convince new subscribers. Be really clear about your privacy, so reassure them that you do respect their privacy, will protect their email address, and that they can unsubscribe at any time. And finally, talk it up. Put as much effort into your newsletter sign-up page as you do for any other product and service. The more effort you put into convincing them to sign up, the more subscribers you'll get. It really is worthwhile because your newsletter is going to make a lot of money for you in the long term. 
Now let's look at what to include in every newsletter. I'm going to give you, from top to bottom, the sort of things that you should put in a typical newsletter. You don't always have to do them in this order, and you don't have to do all of them. But if you're just getting started, you can use this as a template or a checklist for your own newsletter. Start with the banner. Send your newsletter in HTML format rather than plain text, so that you can include your colors and graphics that are going to match your overall business branding. Include your photograph, because it adds a personal touch and credibility. Include their name. You can personalize your newsletter by greeting your reader by name, which can be inserted automatically by your email software. So it can say, Hi Joan, or Hello John, or whatever greeting feels comfortable to you. Then you might say, What's coming up? This is optional. You can include a short list of what's coming up in this newsletter. Your newsletter isn't going to be very long anyway, so it doesn't really need this, but some newsletter writers like to include it, and it doesn't do any harm. Next comes the most valuable part of the newsletter for your reader, the feature article. We've already talked about how to write one article a month in the Lead with Value section, so that's what you put in the newsletter here. Then an offer. Don't be afraid to promote something as well. The best promotions are related to the article you've just written. Then coming events. So you might include a list of your coming events to promote your appearances and products and new services. A testimonial. You can occasionally include a client testimonial. You don't have to do this every time, and also there's no harm in repeating them over time. Then a gift. From time to time, give your subscribers a gift with no strings attached. You can even do something as simple as just recommend something, like a useful website, a blog, a podcast, a YouTube video, or a book that you've read. Then fun stuff. You can include things like jokes and cartoons and puzzles, quotations or inspirational pictures. Just be sure that you've got explicit permission from the copyright holders before you include any of this in your newsletter. Now you're ready for the sign-off. So end the newsletter by signing off with your name. And if you include a scanned signature, be careful to only include your first name so that you don't give scammers an electronic version of your signature. After that's a positioning statement, so you write a brief paragraph positioning you and the work that you do and include this below your signature. It's not necessary for long-term readers, but it is handy for new subscribers and for those who've had the newsletter forwarded to them by a friend. Then an unsubscribe link. Make it really easy and obvious for your readers to take themselves off the list at any time if they wish to. Then have a privacy policy or at least a link to your privacy policy. Hardly anyone's going to read it, but it reassures them anyway. Then have contact details. So provide full contact details here, including your physical address or at least a post office box. Include your email address and a phone number. Then comes a website address. Show that website address clearly and link it to your website, of course. Then social media links. So it's becoming increasingly common nowadays to include links to your other online properties, and this is a good idea. Then tell a friend. Encourage your readers to forward your newsletter to friends and colleagues. And then have a subscription link. So this is a link to the subscription page for your newsletter on the website. Now, of course, this isn't for your current subscribers. But if they pass it on to a friend or colleague, that person might be interested in subscribing. So make it easy for them. And then, finally, the copyright or reprint notice. Your newsletter is copyright, even without a copyright notice on it. But some people feel more comfortable adding a copyright notice as well, and there's no harm in that. On the other hand, you might want to give people permission to pass it on or to reprint it, so make a note to that effect as well. For example, you might just say something as simple as this. You're welcome to use this as long as you acknowledge the author, don't change it in any way, and you include a link to www.yourwebsite.com when you use it. And finally, the subject line. So give some thought to the subject line of your newsletter. Remember that it's turning up among dozens of other newsletters in people's inboxes. So you need to make it immediately identifiable. I suggest you combine the newsletter name and the feature article title and use that as the email subject line. 
Facebook, Google, and Apple have changed the way the world works. Get fast, flat, and free from fastflatandfree.com and learn how to make the internet work for you. Now let's move on to my interview with Paul. This interview goes on for a little bit longer than usual, but that's because I just couldn't figure out what to leave out. Every time I started removing something, I grieved for its loss because everything that Paul shares is so good. So here's the full interview. Hope you enjoyed. Hello, this is Gihan Pereira. I'm speaking today with Paul Archer from the UK. He's a speaker, a trainer and a consultant who specializes in sales. And as I said, he's based in the UK, but he works with sales professionals and sales leaders all around the world. And one of the things that I always admired about Paul is, that the, is the way that he, he really combines high tech and high touch. So he teaches what he calls rapport selling, which is about being truly customer focused and engaging at a very personal level. But he's also embraced a lot of high tech with things like video and podcasts and blogs and Flickr slideshows and more stuff that we'll talk about a little bit later. And I I think that's really important because organizations and their leaders just can't ignore the impact of technology and the internet in the whole sales process. And it's not just for tech companies, it's for everybody. So that's really why I want to have this conversation with Paul about how, how the internet has changed selling for everyone. So welcome, Paul. Thank you, Guy, and thanks for, thanks for inviting me as well. Oh, look, my pleasure. My pleasure. So let's start with a little bit of background. I'm always interested in, in people who make a significant career change. And I know that you started out in the financial services industry and then That's moved right. into sales. So, so what happened? How did that happen and what motivated you to make that shift? Um, it's not one, really, because financial services was where I started back in the 80s. Um, banks and building societies where I came from. And um, in those places, you never used to sell in the 80s. And it was only a mid-80s that they suddenly twigged that um, they had to start selling. So um, I, I really got involved in the sales side and, and moved away from banks and, and, and went and got involved in insurance companies, direct sales, uh, financial services companies in the 90s as well, a state agency. Because I, I just love selling. Um, it's what, what I what, what I could do well and what I could earn a good living from. So, uh, so that, that's why, why I'm here now, really teaching people to, to sell better. Yeah, and you, I guess you started off in sales and you've been now doing sales training and consulting for quite a long time, I think I think probably more yeah. than 20 years now. And, and now we're going to talk yeah. about the internet and how that's changed selling, Paul. But, but what else do you think has changed, I guess, in 20 years of experience? What else have you noticed about what's changed in the way that people buy? Mm, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a big thing, isn't it? Because the internet's obviously had a huge impact. But um, there, are, there have been a few other trends, I think, over the last... 15, 20 years. I mean, the first one, Gihan, is technology in general. Mm. Now, you've got to have the technology, of course, to carry the internet. And um, technology has improved to allow buyers to communicate a lot, lot better, of course. Uh, mobile devices are, are one example. Um, so that, that helps That helps the buyer to become truly mobile, I think, as well. So, mm. so technology helps. Um, other things that have changed... And globalization is a big one, isn't it? We all talk about globalization. And the world is so much smaller now. And for a buyer, for a consumer, this gives them more choice, a lot more choice than ever before. Um, they, can, they can choose to buy a product from the States. I often buy uh, things from, from, from the States mm-hmm. as well. Obviously, the Internet helps that. Of course it does. But you still got to have the manufacturers all around the world producing the goods that gives you the choice. And, and, and that's made... That's made consumers kind of more demanding almost. Buyers are far more demanding than ever before, both both in the products that they choose, uh, the choice they've got, but also the way organizations treat them. 
this is not an internet thing. This is a, a culture change. They, they just demand more. They demand uh, better service. They demand uh, better products, better post-sale uh, service, all sorts of things. And I, I think that's a big, a big change in the way customers interact, really. Um, mm. Better education as well, I think, Gihan. Um, the, the last point I want to make here is that buyers don't want to be sold to anymore. That's a really big one. Mm. They, they've changed their culture again. They, they're better educated in many areas, and they realize that salespeople, they don't want them there anymore. Therefore, they don't want to be sold to. And, and, and that's, that's a big change, really. And it's a, different in, a difference in culture and maybe even the power dynamic, isn't it, Paul, that previously, if you went to buy something, the seller had the power because they had all the information. And if you say information's power, now suddenly the buyers have got all the power. Well, it's true. And um, the power itself is the, well, it's the biggest impact of the Internet, isn't it? Mm. Because consumers have the power. They control everything now. And as salespeople, we have to do a lot of changing. We have to change in a number of ways in which we sell to people. We have to change in the way we interact with these buyers uh, because the buyers have got the power. Um, so, I mean, how, how, how has the Internet changed things? I think the Internet's changed things an awful lot mm-hmm. beyond just, just technology and things. Um, the first thing about buyers and the power is that the sales process itself has changed as a result of the Internet. It's almost like a, a seismic shift, isn't it? Because back in the, in the good days, if you like, in the old days, you had a sales process and customers had a buying process. And these two processes, Gihan, they, 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 they linked together. They worked. So, for example, in the old days, a customer would realize they have a need, or as I call it, an itch that needs scratching. They have a need. They have, they have something that they require. And they'd have to get information. They'd have to get a brochure or get a book or, or walk down into the high street, uh, find a shop that's selling the product or service, whatever it was, go into a bank, and, and talk to a salesperson. And the salesperson's job then was distinctly different because their job was to talk to the customer. The customer had a rough idea what they wanted. And the salesperson's job was to ask good questions, find out the customer's needs, um, classic sales process stuff, if you like. And then they would make a recommendation, of course, because the salesperson knew all about the product and the service. Mm -hmm. They were the people that that had all the information, they had all the data, the features, and they'd show the customer what was the right product and, and they'd close it. And that's the way things used to be. Um, but of course they've changed now. They've, they've changed dramatically because nowadays consumers, they still have needs and they still get itches, as I call it, and they still want to scratch that itch. They still have wants and things like that, but, but they don't need to walk down into the high street or contact the salesperson anymore. Uh, you, you know yourselves that they go online mm. but, but there's a lot of things that they do now that there's pretty much three things i believe that consumers will do when they have a need and, and this gihan is a consumer who wants to buy from um, you know a, co- a company or it could be another company that wants to buy from another company so it's business to consumer business to business so the consumer has a need the first thing they'll do is try and fix it themselves now i've noticed that the last few years People are getting more self-sufficient in being able to solve their problems, solve their needs. They go online. Uh, they learn about whatever it is they want to learn about. And, and they may do it in-house or they might solve the problem themselves. The second thing they'll do, and, and this is the social media revolution, isn't it? That we're all 
banging on about at the moment. Right? You've got to do Twitter. You've got all these things. And that's because customers will ask their friends what they think. Now, I think that we've done this for years, haven't we? Don't you think? If, hmm. if I've had a need for something, I'll go and talk to my friend or my, 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 my colleague, my, 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 my wife, uh, my friend, whatever it is. I'll ask somebody, listen, do you know somebody that does this or does that? But the biggest impact is that nowadays they'll ask their social network. Mm-hmm. And they may have two or 300 people on their Facebook network. On, on Twitter, they may have hundreds, but they might be retweeted to thousands. Um, LinkedIn, of course, the business network now is very important. And, um, and this gets them the ability to ask hundreds of people for their opinion. And that's really, really big now. With, I think with the Facebook, uh, the, the new search engine Facebook are bringing in, um, Graph, I think it's called, mm. isn't it? Mm. Which, which uses people's opinions more, the likes. I'm not too sure about how it works, but it uses likes and opinions. But that's, that's the, the other thing that the consumer will do. The third, and the one that affects us, I think, more for our call today, is that the consumer will Google to find somebody that can solve the problem for them, or they'll Google to find the product themselves. And if it's a commodity, they'll buy it themselves online. Uh, however, if it's a more complex product, they'll find somebody or a company that can sell it to them. They'll then research and find out more as to what they want. Uh, they'll research and they'll find out what details they want, what color it is they want it. Um, they can find out the dimensions. And scaringly, they can find out the prices. Mm. And it's only then that they'll approach the salesperson. And I, I think often it's reluctancy as well. They'll, they'll approach the salesperson reluctantly. But when they approach the salesperson, the consumer knows exactly what they want and, and how it's going to work for them. Um, and the salesperson's job then has changed. Because the salesperson then becomes, I think, an order taker. They become somebody who's just taking an order from a consumer who's already researched what they want. Yeah. And that's pretty scary stuff. So, yeah, the consumer's got all the power now. Yeah. And the salesperson's lost it. And as a salesperson, you don't want to be just an order taker, do you? You don't want to be just a person at the checkout who's reading through the goods. Um, no. you know, metaphorically, you want to do a lot more than that. And I, I think one of the shifts that I'm seeing, Paul, is that there's a... There's, there's always been this whole idea that you've got a marketing department and a sales department, and they've got different roles. But it seems like they're, they're merging more and more, and now the salespeople have to do more marketing, and the, the marketing people have to be more directly involved in sales. And th- that seems to be a change as well, like, particularly like salespeople or sales professionals having to do more marketing. Yeah, it's always been a battle, isn't it, uh, mm-hmm. marketing versus sales. I, I go into companies from, in my business, and, and you hear salespeople moaning about marketers and marketers moaning about the sales team. <laughs> it's quite scary, really, what's going on. Um, I think it's changed a lot there as well, because we're looking here now at business um, sales, aren't we? I think it's changed a lot there, because um, marketing's job, um, I think, has changed and needs to change as well, because th- their job nowadays is to get customers to come to the company. I think that's always been their role. Isn't it? Mar- a marketer's job is to... It's to do things to bring customers out of the world towards the product or service that that company sells. But that they need to do this now in, in well, in mass marketing. They need to do it individually because they need to bring in customers, maybe one by one, 
and, and they need to keep them warm because customers are researching the internet, finding out what they're looking for, and they might be early in their own process. And they'll come to marketing. Marketing's job now is to keep people warm until they're ready to send them over to the sales team. And, and I call this the, the, um, the incubator, which is my mm. nice sort of term. Mm. We, we have um, we, we've got chickens here in uh, in our place, Gihan, and uh, chickens are great. But we have this thing called fox, and fox eats chickens. You know, that's been going for years. <laughs> so every, every season we lose a load of chickens. So my wife goes down to a um, local um, chicken place and she buys the eggs that have already been fertilised. And, and rather than giving them to the hens to hatch, we put them into this incubator, which is an electronic gadget, you know, a couple of feet wide, and you put the eggs into this gadget. You turn it on and it warms it up, puts um, steam in there and everything. And basically within 14 days, whatever it takes, the, the little chicks, they hatch. And they hatch perfectly because there's, Mother Nature's not involved, if you like. Mm-hmm. Now, that incubator process is exactly how I think marketing should work now. Because people come to us, they come to marketing through marketing's methods and, and marketing activities. And then they keep them warm in this incubator. And the incubator itself needs to be kept warm with value, a value for the customer. Um, and the salesperson's job, I feel, is to produce that value. Because the, the modern salesperson's role has changed because their job now is not to you know, find out the needs of customers, present the product and close. That's old. And we, used to, we call that now the, 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 the talking brochure. Salespeople are not talking brochures anymore. Mm. If they are, they're doomed. <laughs> the internet does that now. The salesperson's job is to solve customers' problems, to understand the uh, customer's situation. And if it's a business-to-business environment, they need to understand the industry the customer's in. They need to appreciate the customer's situation, their sector, the people within it, the pains, the problems they've got. And the salesperson nowadays needs to be able to add value to their customers beyond just the product that they're selling. And their job now is to produce the content that goes into the incubator that keeps the customer warm. And, and, but by content, I, I mean things that help solve customer problems. Uh, articles, white papers, uh, blog postings, videos, all the things that you yourself do as well, hmm. uh, podcasts and things. And the salesperson produces that. That's given to marketing. Marketing feed this incubator And all the potential customers that are coming through the system get fed this information, fed this value. And then when the customer is ready to take it to the next stage, they can then go to the salesperson who will then qualify them and take them through their sales process. That's the role. So so let's look at an example there, Paul, because people like you and I who are who are speakers, trainers, consultants, we already specialize in producing high quality content. And so for mm. us, I guess it's easy, easy to do that. Can you give yeah. an example of how a salesperson in whatever industry you like, and you can keep the names, uh, keep the names private, of course, but can you give an example of someone who might be doing that, that you know, or just, you know, yeah. so, some sort of example of a typical salesperson who doesn't sell content, but can use content to, to improve that sales process? Yeah, that's that's, uh, that's a good one, isn't it? Because you, you're right, speakers and trainers, we, that's what we do. We produce content, mm. don't we? Um, mm. A couple of examples came to me recently, actually. The, the first one was um, the snow that we had here in the UK. We, we've been covered with the white stuff here the last couple of weeks, which is quite unusual. Um, and it's the problem with our country, as soon as we get an inch of snow, the whole country grinds to a halt. The trains stop, the cars stop and everything. 
It's not like our Scandinavian cousins who can cope with it. I know. I lived there for two years, Paul. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's a company that um, I bought last year a roof box from. Um, roof box for the car. So when we went camping last year, I could throw a load more stuff in there for the kids. Now, this company has kept in touch with me cleverly. And uh, they sent me um, an email. And the email was how to drive a car in the snow. And um, it was talking about, you know, get, get cadence braking and it was talking about uh, chains and taking an old carpet with you in case you get stuck. And, and I read this. I thought, this is really interesting because they're connected to the car traveling business. OK, they sell roof boxes, but they've realized that their job is beyond just flogging roof boxes. It's helping people to travel safely when they go on holiday and things like that. So they've taken that as their customers' problems or challenges. So if I want to go on holiday, Gihan, and I want to pack more into my car than it will fit, I need a roof box. But I also need to travel safely. Mm. I need to travel in all weathers. And they've sent me information about how to drive in the snow. That is a good example of producing content that I find valuable, that you know, I read and I found interesting. That company is ahead of the game. And there's beautiful positioning for them as well, isn't it? They're not trying to sell you anything. They're not trying to sell you any add-ons or anything new. They're just saying, we care about you and the way that you travel and the safety of your travel. And Absolutely. here's something that might help you. Absolutely. Yeah, brilliant. And brilliant. That's an example of how salespeople, as long as they can figure out what their value is, um, their value proposition is called various things, isn't it? What, what, what problems do they solve for their customers? Why do customers come to them? If they can look beyond just the product and the service they sell and then start to solve these problems for customers, that, that's the content they produce. And it's that content, if it goes into the incubator, because I'm in that roofbox company's incubator, Gihan. Um, I'm in their incubator. Okay, I'm on a database, which is the same thing, isn't it? And they're sending me all that value, which is absolutely brilliant for me. Absolutely. That's, that's and you love receiving it because you don't feel yeah. like you're being sold to or marketed to all the time. Absolutely. You just reminded me, actually, of an example that I know, Paul, a friend of mine who's, uh, who works in the pharmaceutical sales industry. She attended a conference, and uh, she attended the conference. She took notes and summarized some of the conference findings and made them available. She published a private blog and made them available to her clients, so the doctors and the, uh, the pharmacists that she was visiting uh, and that she had relationships with, she just made that available to them. And that's, again, I think this is a really good example which had nothing to do with the, with her company or the drugs that she was uh, suggesting that they prescribe, but it was just adding value, helping them with their, with their ongoing learning and development. Mm, I think it's a great example, great example. Yeah. I, I had a, a client so yesterday who sell um, travel insurance, and, and they sell travel insurance to customers. But they sell it to people who are um, maybe they've got an illness, a pre-existing illness or something. Mm -hmm. and, and they send out information about traveling abroad, you know, mm -hmm. what visa you need to go to Russia and that kind of thing. So they've expanded their industry around traveling as well. Um, so these are, these are good examples, aren't they, of salespeople that have realized how things have changed. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I'm curious, Paul, because you work in lots of organizations in lots of countries. I'm mm. curious to know your experience. Like in your experience, do you think that most organizations get it? Like it, it sounds very obvious when you and I are, <laughs> are sitting here talking about it. And I guess from many consumers' point of view, it is obvious that they do. They know that they those three things that you mentioned, they fix it themselves, they ask a friend, or they Google it. Everyone does that. In fact, probably even the sales leaders in those organizations do it. But do you think that most of them are actually putting it into practice or are they still stuck to doing things the way it used to work in the past? It does vary, doesn't it? Um, a lot of companies I work for um, dig it, as they call it. They, they get it. Um, some get onto bandwagons, Ogihan. Some get onto the social media bandwagon. And, and I've seen companies wasting huge amounts of time on Facebook fan pages and all sorts of things, you know, which, okay, they do work. And marketing's role is to get involved there. Um, but um, it, all, it all depends on where in the world as well. I mean, I work around the world and, I, and I've worked in uh, India Far East, place like that, where they don't have the infrastructural ways to, you know, the internet doesn't travel so much. Mm-hmm. But mobile technology is changing things in those in those respects as well. Mm-hmm. You know, pe- people will go on the internet using their, their mobile phones and they're all over the world now. So, so Africa's changing now as well. And, and salespeople in Africa need to change because the consumers there are, are using the internet to research as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but most are getting it. However, there are still a lot of salespeople who I feel are dragging their heels. Um, I mean, I met a salesperson. He was in his early 50s last week. He said to me, oh, the internet doesn't affect me. He said, it's all about face-to-face mm. rapport building. He mm. said, you know, as long as they like me, they'll buy from me, you know. And I thought, well, fair enough. Because <laughs> that guy's not going to change. Um, people are people, aren't they? Well, actually, that's interesting because I want to, to follow up on that because you use the word rapport, and I know that one of your themes, one of your main themes, is all about rapport selling. And it is a lot about that face-to-face, belly-to-belly interaction. How do you do that? How do you do that in an increasingly online world? Yeah, it's um, it's true. I, I do talk about rapport selling, which is um, very intimate, um, trust-based mm. relationships with your, with your customer. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about when you've got a, a small-ticket, commoditized product. I'm talking bigger-ticket products that you're selling. Um how does it work in online? I, I think, Gihan, it works better now for, for a couple of reasons. Um, communication technology has improved vastly. I mean, we're using Skype here to talk, aren't we? Mm-hmm. And this allows salespeople to use um, Skype video calls, um, FaceTime using their iPhones. So salespeople can talk to their customers using technology. And, and, and modern Skype technology with a decent screen and everything, you can actually see the customer now broadband is very fast so you can get a good image of people so you can you know read their body language you can build that rapport i think with the technology um, the, the other thing as well is that we're able to research our clients before we meet them now um quick example i i had a, a prospecting call to make to a potential client in, in birmingham so of course i googled him we all do, don't we? Mm. I googled this chap, and he's quite um, uh, popular on all the social networks. And his LinkedIn profile was very well um, filled in, and it talked about his hobbies. And this guy um, coaches under 16s in rugby union. Now that's what I happen to do. I, I coach un- under 15s mm-hmm. in rugby union over here. And I got on the phone to this chap, and we started talking. And of course, guess what we talked about for 15 minutes mm. was uh, coaching rugby union. And we realized, you know, our teams have played each other in the past. And, and it was just a fantastic way of building rapport. 
Now, I'm not thinking here we should get creepy. You know, well, I, I understand your daughter goes to St. Vincent's school in the morning. You know, you don't do that kind of stuff. But <laughs> if you know where I'm coming from. But, but um, that, that I think the research really helps. Um, the third thing I thought about as well with this question was that we're able to bring in other people to the sales process. Previously, it might have been the sales rep who talked to the um, person in the company. Now the sales rep, using Skype technology, WebEx and things, can bring in other people, other experts, who form part of the, of the solution. So you can have uh, you know, Bob in, in the technology department, for example, join the call. And suddenly Bob becomes a face you know, with, with, mm. with blue eyes or whatever mm. and can talk to the customer. And that's rapport selling. That's about building a rapport, building trust. Because trust will never go away. It's one of the underlying principles in sales, trust. And whatever technology you're using to talk to your customer, you've got to get that trust before they'll do business with you. So I think it's, it's, it's improved with technology. Yeah, that's interesting because I was thinking that you'd probably give me some answers about how you can overcome the obstacles of technology, but you're saying, look, you can, even, you can do even better than that. You can actually yeah. use the technology to your advantage. Mm-hmm. And so we should. Of course, coming soon are holographic files, which I find fascinating. Okay, it's it's highly highly expensive and mm-hmm. u- using top range technology. But in five ten years time, we'll be able to send holographic files down the internet. So we'll be able to um, appear in the customer's office as a holographic file. Mm-hmm. And people might laugh at that because that's going to happen, and that will that will revolutionise communication. Mm-hmm. Because that's what. B2B sales is. It's communicating with customers. And, um, and I, I think that's coming, coming very soon. Yeah, great. Great. So let's look at some practical things, Paul. So mm-hmm. I'm just interested in looking at this at three levels. So, so first of all, let's start from the top. And so assuming the change starts at the top, yeah. let's look at business leaders. So I'm talking CEOs and MDs here, not, not sales managers and, dep- and division heads. But what okay. do business leaders need to do to enable their, their departments, the sales and sales department, sales divisions, to thrive in this online world. So we're talking here about the boardroom, aren't we? Mm, absolutely. The CEOs, the, the heads of, aren't we? Okay. Yep. Um, well, the first thing they need to do is to, I think, place everybody on the new sales process. Now, the sales process has changed since the 80s and 90s. It has a number of um, additional elements to it. Um, I think right at the beginning of the sales process, you need to have what I call creating noise. That's when you get your information out on the internet. That's when you populate your solutions. And at the other end of the sales process, you have customer care, which has always been there, but I think it needs to be customer care on steroids now because customers demand so much more. So now you've got a newfangled sales process. The the sales leader, the CEO, should put everybody in the organization somewhere on the sales process. So even if it's, um, you know, the cleaner, which we always use an awful example, that isn't it? Or, or, the, or the person that packages the products at the warehouse and sends them out. These people should be somewhere on the sales process and should be responsible for it. So I think that's important that the CEOs do that as well. Um, they need to be crystal clear of their, of their value and their value proposition right up in the boardroom. They need to decide what they do as a business this is high high level strategy isn't it mm. who are their customers who's their market and and what's the uh, the, the problems that they solve in, in the customer's market and therefore 
the value of the product and service that they deal with. And, and that needs to be crystal clear. And that needs to come right from the top as well. So I think that's a, a boardroom um, responsibility. Okay. Okay. So let's say you've got an organization where the leaders are on board with that, uh, literally, and in the boardroom. So let's look at the next level where you're looking at the division or department heads, the sales managers, the sales leaders. And you know, they're the people who are often caught in the middle because mm. they're, they're, they're held accountable for sales within the organization and they're managing teams of sales professionals. What, yeah. what do you recommend for them? What do they have to do to empower the sales professionals in their team? Mm. Well, they, they need to obviously filter down from the board what the board have decided. But there's a few things that sales managers and sales leaders need to be doing when they're in the field. Um, the first thing is they need to change their recruitment. Uh, here's me being um, telling them what to do, but uh, <laughs> they need to change their recruitment practices because you can't recruit the old-fashioned salesperson. Um, we used to call them the mouth on a stick, um, which is somebody who just talks, <laughs> talks, 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 talks. Yeah. Now that's old-fashioned. They need to recruit people who are who have the potential to become an expert in their in their industry that they serve. Not somebody who's able to pick up a brochure, learn about the product and sell it, you know, features and benefits. That's, that's old-fashioned stuff, isn't it? These new salespeople need to become experts in the industry that they serve or the consumers that they serve and the problems those consumers have. So, okay, intelligence levels come into it as well. But recruit differently. Recruit people that they can train to be experts. I think that's the key. And, and the training needs to change as well. They need to train their salespeople in different areas. Uh, they don't want to be focusing now on overcoming objections or, you know, benefit selling. That's all old stuff because modern consumers know what they want before they even come and see mm. you. Mm. So, so the, the training needs to be, for example, on, on the consumer. If it's a business-to-business -business sale, the training needs to teach the salesperson how to understand that business, how to understand the report and accounts of that business, how to be able to work out return on investment if they're selling a large service, for example. Um, how, to, how to use metrics, how to, how, to, how to understand the numbers of how businesses work. They need to be trained on dealing with procurement people. Now, procurement, of course, is, is the profession of buying, buying products and supply. And procurement people, Gihan, get involved in every business-to-business -business sales process now. Mm. They always wheel them in. And, and therefore, the salesperson needs to be able to, ha to handle procurement professionals, how to negotiate. Um, so, so there's a lot of change in, in the way they get trained as well. Um, and then, of course, coaching comes in. Good sales leaders must coach this as well, regular coaching of the sales process. And, and the final thing I think sales leaders need to be doing is they need to be measuring differently. Um, we, we all know the old adage, isn't it? What gets measured gets done. Mm -hmm. And salespeople, and I'm like this myself, if I measure myself against something, then I do it. It's how I've been trained. But it's all about the different measurement. See, sales, sales leaders now need to measure different things. For example, they, they need to um, come out with KPIs or metrics, key performance indicators, that reward behavior like content creation. Mm. So if my salesperson starts producing videos or, or blogs twice a week, whatever, I need to reward him or her for that. And I need to create a KPI to, to you know, encourage that kind of behavior rather than sales numbers or, or closing ratios. Mm -hmm. The world's changed. In fact, as you were saying that, I was just thinking how different that is from the, the stereotype old-time sales manager who the, the first question when a salesperson comes back from a sales call is, did you close the sale? <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was the one thing that mattered. 
Exactly. And it still will matter because obviously income needs to come in. But yeah. the modern consumer, particularly business business, doesn't want to be sold anymore. They'll sniff a benefit salesperson, an objection handling technique. A modern consumer will sniff in seconds because they're better educated in all these things now. Yeah, absolutely. It's just taking them along the sales process that matters and solving their problems and helping them long term and providing value. It's, it's quite simple, really, when you look at it that way. Yeah, and I think as you're speaking as well, Paul, a, a light bulb just went off in my head because you're talking about recruitment and training. And I guess you just emphasize the importance of getting people who that don't get their old style. It's, it's the old mindset, isn't it? It's not necessarily anything to do with their age or their experience. It's have they got the right mindset to not only shift but want to shift. Definitely. Yeah, the want, the want to do is, is important. Mm. And the sales manager's role is that, isn't it? Because they're there to motivate their team. Um, the sales manager's job is to recruit the right people, train them, coach them, motivate them, reward them, and then ultimately fire them, I suppose. <laughs> and uh, the, the sales manager is the most important part. Whenever a company brings me in to you know, change the way their salespeople are selling, I'll, I'll say, okay, we'll look at salespeople in a minute. Let's have a look at your sales managers first. And, and examine how they manage mm. because they're, they're the key. They're absolutely the key. Okay, so I'm going to ask you anyway, and you may not have much to say on this tent, but what about the salespeople? <laughs> if, they, okay. if, they're, if they're being managed well and the sales managers and the sales leaders are doing the right thing, what does a sales professional have to do? Are there any recommendations you'd, you'd give them? Yeah, there's um, obviously they, they kind of get their instructions from above, don't they, because that's how organizations work. But I think salespeople need to do two or three things differently moving forward. The first thing a good salesperson needs to get involved in is what, what we now call social selling. It's a new phrase, isn't it? We, we love these buzzwords, don't we? Social selling. Um, it's to do with the social media, of course, and it's using social media to sell. And it's, and it's not just putting yourself on Facebook and getting your Twitter going. It's using it properly to embed your expertise because consumers, of course, remember, will Google you. And, and business to business will Google you as well. And they need to know what your expertise is. Because people will buy from experts now. So social selling is about embedding your expertise, isn't it? But it's also about prospecting using social media. Because we've all got to get new clients, new customers. And, and you, can, you can get the trigger points from businesses. For example, I'm, I'm, I'm on Twitter, and most people are, aren't they? And I use TweetDeck to give me information, and it tells me who's searching for sales trainers in, in Gloucestershire, for example, or the UK. Mm-hmm. And I can use this, and I can find out companies that are having problems. They're going through struggles or whatever. They've got a challenge. So the social selling is something a salesperson should adopt, and you know, they'll need to Google this and get some more information. There's some great books out on it at the moment. Which, uh, which teach them how to do this properly. So it's the researching of customers before they go and meet them is the key, and you can do that through the social media. Other things, Gihan? Yeah, please. They, they need to be comfortable with content creation. Now, not all salespeople are going to be good at this, so they might want to outsource it a little bit possibly, maybe get marketing involved, but they'll need to get good at content creation, solving customers' problems, putting information out on the Internet, which links in with their social media, uh, which shows the uh, searchers on the internet that they are experts in that area. And the last point I want to make, this is for business-to-business salespeople, is get good with LinkedIn. Um, I'm not a major expert at LinkedIn. There's people better on it than me. But LinkedIn is more than just a CV online. And unfortunately, that's what people use it for, isn't it? 
LinkedIn's going through some huge changes this year, and it's a huge and enormous way of getting new business if you're in the business-to-business sales market. So there's a few thoughts for you. Yeah, great. And actually, that leads me on to uh, asking about you, Paul, because you mentioned some of the things that you do. And I think you're a perfect example of somebody who's is constantly creating really high-quality content for your market. I, I, I love listening to your podcasts. I watch mm-hmm. your videos from time to time. I subscribe to your blog. I know one of the objections that many people are going to have is that it just takes too much time, but yeah. but you seem to do it. And how did you do it? And did it come naturally to you? Or was there, was there a moment when you suddenly realized, hey, here's what I need to do, and here's how I can do it efficiently? And effectively, I should mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, it's an interesting point, that, isn't it? I mean, it's part of my job. I'm a speaker and a trainer, so I'm full of informational <laughs> content. But, uh, so that, that's always come naturally, I suppose. I've always been inclined to write and, and produce information. Um, but how do I, how do, I do it? Um, I, I kind of automate it as much as I possibly can, really. And be, being a salesperson at heart, I, I produce uh, targets. I have my own personal metrics. Mm-hmm. So each week, for example, I need to write 2,500 words. I need to produce one sales video and create two podcasts and post two blog entries. That's my target. And don't always complete it. Sometimes, for example, I'll write 5,000 words in a week and the following week, nothing. But if I have a target, it gets done. And that's just the way I work. A lot of salespeople work that way as well. That's the key thing. And the other thing, and this is something that I've picked up from yourself, actually, Gihan, is that when you produce something, um, a piece of content, for example, my company that teaches you how to drive in the snow, they, they've got content there, and they sent me um, an email with information on it. Is, is they should leverage that in other areas. So, for example, they produce um, a short article about the, the subject. They could then also produce a, a longer article that they put on their website with images and pictures and photographs. They could do a video, uh, get one of their guys out with a camera. We've all got them on mobile phones, haven't we? Mm-hmm. Um, go out to the car park where it's full of snow and show how to do cadence braking, for example. I don't know how mm. that would work. Maybe a podcast. Uh, it, it's leveraging it, isn't it? Leveraging the same content but in many different ways. And then putting it out on your social network, putting it on your LinkedIn, your Facebook, your Twitter to show people where to get that information. So, so I do that. I leverage it well. And I think the beauty of what you've just said, Paul, is that there are going to be different people who will consume their content in different ways. Like I know that I love reading and I love listening to podcasts because I can do that when I'm at the gym or in my car or on my bike, whereas I don't like watching videos. But there's some people who love watching videos. They're always watching videos, particularly on their phones and tablets, or if they fly a lot, they'll download a whole bunch of videos and watch a whole bunch of them on, on a flight. Now, I can't, I can't sit down and watch videos because I just want to get impatient. But there are other people <laughs> who love it. And all you're doing is you're taking the same content, publishing it in different formats, and you reach different people in different ways. Yeah, yeah, it is true what you say. My 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 seventeen year old son, for example, he's all video. It's his yeah. YouTube, isn't it? For the, yep. that generation, they go more, straight onto YouTube more than TV sometimes. Yeah, and, and that's of course. I mean, Google, of course, YouTube have got uh, their their TV stations coming in where you pay to yep. view now, don't you? So yep. it'll all be done on that basis. Yep. But you're right. Different content can be produced in different ways. Um, how else do I make it happen? I I outsource a fair bit, Gihan, as well. Um, now, if you work for a company, of course, you've got people you can outsource things to. I outsource the techie stuff. So, for example, um, rendering a video, uploading it to Vimeo, putting it on YouTube, 
um, the techie kind of stuff I outsource. I use my 17-year-old son who's doing his A-levels. He, he does that for me on a Saturday morning. Yeah, right. So, so that, he's good price as well, but don't tell him that. <laughs> well, and that's, and that's smart as well, Paul. I mean, you're not going to outsource the recording of the video because you want your beautiful smiling face on there. But, <laughs> but stuff that doesn't require you and your expertise, yeah. you might as well get somebody else to do it. Yeah, who's better at it than I am as well. Mm-hmm. And, and the final thing I do is, is I, I operate this incubator myself. I have an incubator. It's a database. And um, I've got customers in there who have come to me. They've come to my website, which is what customers do. They're, they're kind of at an early stage of buying my, my products and services. And I incubate them with this content. So my content, Gihan, is, is the food for the incubator that keeps people warm. And it may be six months, a year of incubating these people, they'll come to me ready to buy a product or service. And so it actually works for me. It produces income. I, I know that. Therefore, I'm, I'm motivated to produce the content because it's my way of getting new business. Mm, great. That's how it works for me. And that's a perfect lead into because I did want to ask you about you, Paul, and what sort of clients you work with and what sort of products and services that you, that you offer to the, to the people that you work with. And, of course, how do people get in touch with you? Yeah, okay, that's, that's good. Um, I, I work with um, sales-led organizations, predominantly in the financial services sector, uh, banks, building societies, insurance companies, those people. I work with them and I help them to pretty much improve their revenue, increase their revenue streams by engaging with customers better, selling more effectively, uh, both online and offline as well. So that's, that's what I do. Um, I speak, I train, I write, I author. I do coaching. These are things that I use to give my expertise, if you like, to these companies. And I work around the world, which is really cool. I'm mm. going out to Russia next uh, next month, which is looking forward to that. Malaysia this year as well. Not been to Australia yet, Kehan. I hope to get there at one point. Oh, please. Uh, do come over. <laughs> so when I'm across there, I'll pop in. But, uh, so that's what I do. How can people contact me? Well, the blog is the best place. The blog is um, com. And uh, you can email me at the same address. That's paul at paularcher.com. And uh, my, my Twitter is um, at rapport seller. Rapport selling is my kind of catchword. Mm-hmm. So that, that's how they can contact me. You know, I think one of the things that's really interesting about what you just said, Paul, is that you've taken that paularcher.com, which is your which is your brand and you've attached Mm. that to your blog and i think that if more than anything else or as much as anything else just demonstrates how much value you place on the on the content that you produce Mm. Mm. and the internet which can help me to distribute the content absolutely and that's been the main focus isn't it the internet has changed things so much in sales uh, and it will continue to change things as well Uh, yeah i think exciting yep any last comment paul that you'd like to leave uh, leave everyone with Something that has uh, some great insight that we've covered that you want to re-emphasize or something new? Hmm. I, think, I think the world is changing quickly. Sales is changing quickly. Of course it is. But I still think consumers will want to buy things. Um, and that's never going to change, is it? Mm-hmm. Consumers will have itches that they need scratching. They'll want to buy. Businesses will need to bring in suppliers to, to help produce their goods and services. So I don't think the demand will change. It's just how we interact with the demand. And, and I still firmly believe at the end of the day, you can have all the technology, you can do all the researching. If your product or service is not a commodity, you know, it's not a Mars bar or a chocolate bar or whatever, then you need to have trust with the person that you're dealing with. So don't forget that. That's really my sort of message. Whatever technology we use to communicate with people, talk to people, 
we've got to do something about building trust with people before they'll 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 do business. And I and I think that's that's just one of those old principles that never dies. Great. It's a great place to end. So Paul Archer, thanks very much for your time and particularly for your wisdom and your insights. Pleasure. Thanks very much, Gihan. I told you he had great information, didn't I? I hope you got as much from that for your own business as I did for mine. And the final segment this month is from marketing guru Winston Marsh. In this segment, Winston's interviewing me about social media for business leaders as part of his monthly business marketing audio series. Gihan Pereira, welcome back. Thank you, Winner. Great to be here. Now, last month you did undertake to talk about social media and how we could stress less and get more value out of it. So, come on, let's roll it out. Sure. Look, and the advice we've got about social media is actually it's slightly different from what most social media consultants will tell you. Because I think the key to using social media differently is to act as a leader. And a leader is somebody who doesn't isn't on there all the time tweeting and liking things on Facebook, but somebody who's providing valuable content. So my broad recommendation is that you use social media as a content tool rather than a conversational tool. In other words, You've got valuable stuff that you want to share, and every business owner does. So use social media to share that stuff so that people know that when they come to do business with you, you're going to provide value. So build yourself up as an expert and as an authority. Uh-huh. So what are the things you can do to make that happen, Gihan? Okay, look, I've got five tips here. And the first one is just to be a learner, be a lifelong learner. So the first thing is to consume lots of content. This should be something that you're doing anyway. It's just part of your business. You know that the world is, is moving so fast that what used to work for us doesn't work anymore. So we constantly have to be on top of what's happening in our, in our business and our industry. So online, there are a lot of things that you could do now. And if you're not already subscribing to blogs and email newsletters and watching YouTube videos that are relevant, then you're probably falling behind. So I guess the first point is something that many business owners are doing anyway, and the smart business owners are definitely doing, which is to, first of all, make sure that you're consuming a lot of content. Okay, so next point, what do we do with that content? Yeah, and the thing that most people do with it is absolutely nothing. So most people learn this stuff, they read it, or they, they watch a video and they learn, and it's great for them, so they, so they learn something from it, but they don't do very much with it after that. And I think a very simple thing that you can do is with some of the content that you get, just share it with your network. So, for example, Winston, I read a lot of blog posts. I read a lot of articles from people in my industry, outside my industry, and all I, all I do with those articles is most of them I don't share, but the ones that I think are, are useful and valuable, I'll provide a link to them. I'll, I'll link to them through Twitter or Facebook or, or LinkedIn, and all you do is you just post a short message there and then a link to the main article. And you don't have to worry about the fact that you're sending, off pe- sending people off to other people's websites. That's okay. All you're doing is providing valuable information for your network. And even though it's not stuff that you've written yourself or created yourself, that doesn't matter. The people will appreciate the fact that you've gone through, you've decided what's going to share, and you're going to share with them something that's going to be valuable to them. Yeah, that's great, Gihan, because I've occasionally thought, should I share all this stuff? Uh, because it may look as though I don't have an original thought. That's been my worry. One of my clients, Kirsten Hodgson, she put it beautifully for me, Vincent. She said, what you're doing when you do this is you're doing their reading for them. So you are the expert who actually helps them, even if it's not your original content, you're helping them overcome their information overload problem. 
because they don't want to read all of that and decide what's relevant to them. You do the reading for them and you share what's, what's appropriate. Yeah, and when I think about it, if I see something of interest to a particular client, I'll always either mail it to them or email it to them. So I suppose I should do that my, to my universe of clients. Exactly, and it's exactly the same thing, except that now we've got the power to send it out to our whole network. And of course, I guess you can add your own comments anyway. Is that a, a good point? Definitely, and I think that actually leads on to the third thing I was going to say. So if you're going to, I mean, there's nothing wrong with just sharing that, it's valuable. But if you're going to add even more value, then add a comment. So you might be posting something to your blog and you just want to share an article that you've read or say a news, a news item that you've read and you have a link to the news item and just add your little commentary to it just to say, here's why I'm sharing this with you. And that way, people actually understand that when they go off and click that link to read what they're reading, they know why they're reading it and why you've chosen to share. And, and that sounds like a very simple thing to do, but the people who know you and like you and trust you will really appreciate the fact that you've gone to the trouble of sharing it and telling them, hey, you should look at this little bit here because this is the bit that's most relevant for you. Exactly the same as what you do, we know, when you, sh- when you share something by email or send something in the mail. I'm sure there have been times when you just stuck a little sticky note on it to say, hey, I like this, particularly this bit of it, and maybe even a little arrow pointing to it. We used to do that. We used to make photocopies and all that sort of thing. So what a great idea. You're doing exactly the same thing here. You're just making it relevant to them. Okay, so add value with the comments is point three. What about point four? Point four is to use your blog and to do more with your blog. And uh, your blog, think of your blog as an online journal for your business. So it's a it's a record or a diary of everything that's going on in your business. So you don't have to write big articles for your blog all the time. So I just, you know, before we started talking, I had a look at my blog. And for the last week, I've written a couple of articles. I promoted a webinar that I'm running. I embedded a YouTube video. I commented on a news story, and uh, that was just in the last week. So I had three or four blog posts in that last week, and only one or two of them were, were long articles. So I reckon a blog is a great place for you to be recording your expertise and sharing things you found from elsewhere. So again, as I was saying earlier, the best way to do this, especially if you're sharing something else, is to like embed a YouTube video and then just add a little comment to it telling people why you're embedding it and why it's useful for them. And when you do that, it's very, very easy to blog regularly. And most people are scared of blogging because they think, oh, I've got nothing to say, so my blog will just live there as a, you can just become a wasteland that nobody will, that there won't be anything on it. But actually, it's very easy if you're consuming content to share it through your blog. Yeah, and uh, we need to talk even more about YouTube. You did back in January, but uh, we'll talk some more about that in a future edition, Gihan, just so we keep people uh, on track and demonstrate how simple it can be. What about your last point? What's that? Yeah, the last point is I just realised that we've been having this conversation. We know, you know, you, we talked, we started by saying it's going to be about social media, and most of what I've said hasn't been much about social media. But my last point is to use social media. But the smart way to do it is to automatically post to your social media networks. So you can connect your blog to Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, so that every time you post to your blog that link gets sent automatically to Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And it's very easy to do this. There's a free service called Twitter Feed, so F-W-E-D, twitterfeed.com. I guess it's named that because originally it probably just sent out links to Twitter, but now it connects to Facebook and LinkedIn as well. 
And all you do is you spend five minutes going to twitterfeed.com. It's free. You sign up. You give it your blog address. And you give it access to your Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn accounts. And then every time you write to your blog, it automatically goes into those social media networks as well. And you know, one of the comments you made right at the start, we know, is that a lot of people don't have time for, for social media or they think they don't have time. And they're actually right because they're trying to do too much with it. Whereas I think if you start this way, publish really high-quality content to your blog and automatically feed it out to Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, you'd be surprised at how effective that is. And even if you're not on those social media networks tweeting all the time or liking or sharing or commenting, that doesn't matter. Just do it this way and you'll be seen as a leader in your industry and you'll be sharing really valuable content with your network. And when you're a leader, people like, respect and trust what you do and therefore want to get more of you. And that means perhaps spend some money with you. I've been a big fan of Winston's for 15 years now, and this year I've got a regular place in his business marketing audio program. If you'd like to know more about it, check out his website at www.winstonmarsh.com.au. You'll love it. So that's it for this month on Expert Gold Radio. Best wishes for a great June, which in Australia is the end of the financial year. Talk to you in July. listening to expert gold radio if you'd like to subscribe read the show notes or leave your comments visit expertgoldradio.com and remember great minds don't think alike